Good morning. My name is John Ziegler, and I'm the pastor here at Church of the Incarnation. We have been journeying through the book of Genesis, and we have been walking along with this family of Abraham, this family of promise, this family that receives a promise that God is going to bless them and through them to bless and save all the peoples of the earth. And this morning, we find ourselves in Genesis 37. And verse 1 begins like this. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. Now, that word settled, it just, it feels so good, doesn't it? It's, it's like the opening scene of so many movies where everything is just good and peaceful. You know, I don't know, I'm thinking of like Avatar or something, right? There's just like this kind of utopian moment or finally everything is good before everything gets bad, right? And it's one of those moments. Literally, he has settled. And I think about this in the land that his father had lived in as an alien. And we know these stories, right? Like folks come over here first generation from some other country, and, and usually in that first generation, things are really difficult. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of sorrow and a lot of sacrifice. But what happens? By the third generation, folks are going to Harvard, right? It's, it's, they have arrived, right? And they're in the land of Canaan, and they've lived there long enough to make it. And things are looking really good. Now, Jacob, as we have learned, had a lot of sons. And he had, up until a point, he had 10 sons from three different women. But unfortunately for him, these three sons, were none of them were from the woman that he really wanted to have a son with. And that was, of course, Rachel, as we have talked about in previous weeks, right? Rachel was the one he had loved from the start, and Rachel is the one with whom he had dreamed of having a family. The only problem was is that Rachel was barren. She was not able to have children. And so her sister Leah and then their servants bore 10 sons for Jacob. But then finally, Joseph was born to Rachel. And as we might expect, that this son of the favorite wife is going to become Joseph's favorite son. Now, all the folks here that have studied like psychology or therapy, maybe you, you're a marriage and family therapist, or you read a little bit about Bowen family theory, or you've done a geneogram, or maybe you've taken some, I don't know, uh, Pete Scorsero class or something, you're not surprised at all what's happening here because you know that Families have a way of repeating dysfunctions over time, right? And so Abraham had two sons, and his favorite was the younger of the two, right? That's Grandpa Abraham. And then uh, Isaac then, of course, had two sons. And then his wife, Rebecca, favorited the second, right? And it's no surprise to us now at this moment that we see these dysfunctional family patterns repeating themselves, right? It's not at all a surprise that Jacob is doing what the family always does, playing favorites, and not only that, having a favorite that is not the the firstborn. And of course, this upsets the family. And it seems from the story almost that Jacob 
is completely blind to how his behavior is harming the family. It's like he doesn't realize what it's doing to the family. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine a lot of us can relate to this kind of dysfunction. Maybe your father wasn't prone to showing favoritism, but it's quite possible that your father had some other behavior, maybe some behavior that seemed perfectly normal to him, but somehow ended up sowing real hurt and real division in your family. For so many of us, this story is our story, and it hit home, doesn't it? And this kind of animosity uh, that is brewing, it's going to grow and grow and grow. The plot thickens until it boils over. There's some key things that happens in this story. One, we find out that Joseph tattles on his brothers. He's a younger brother, and he's out there working with them in the fields, right, as a shepherd. And he comes back and tells the dad that something's going wrong out there, right? We don't know what it is, but somehow they're not doing their job well. They're, they're doing something they're not supposed to do. And I'm told that older siblings don't like younger titles. I'm the youngest in my family, so I don't know how this works. But I can imagine that some of them might not like this activity. And then the second thing is he was given a fancy coat by his dad. Now, a lot of us grew up reading a translation that said a coat of many colors. Um, we had one, you know, we were like, hey, Yesenia, can you bring some clothes for us today? Because we need something. We had one. I didn't see Joseph Shugart. I was going to put this on Joseph <laughs> Shugart because he's the Joseph that we have. Where is he? Is he back there? Um, I don't know if it would fit him, but I would, I would definitely like to see him in it. A lot of us think of it like this, is this coat with, you know, colorful um, some modern translations just say something like fancy or ornate. We don't really know what this word means, but you can tell from the context. He had a really nice Gucci jacket, and everyone else, you know, in the family was wearing something from Kirkland. And or from the Costco, right? It, the problem is the dad had money. He didn't need to go to Costco to buy their clothes. But somehow, right, uh, this guy was getting the nice clothes. And it didn't go over well. We see in verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him. And then this next part really resonates with me. And they could not speak a peaceable word to him. Now, there's some parent here that was like, yeah, that was our car ride this morning. Like, they just could not speak. We have days like that in my house. But they cannot speak a peaceful word to him. And I think if you know my family, you might know the him we're talking about. <laughs> we have days like this. This is like, this is like therapy right here. I'm just like sharing everything. And I'm sure your family's not like that at all. But then to make matters worse, Jacob starts having dreams. And these dreams are really bad for Jacob. <laughs> Verse 5 says, Once Joseph had a dream, and when he had told to his brothers, they hated him even more. And if you know the content of the dream, it's really understandable, I would assume, why they hated him even more. He's like, oh, we all had these sheaves, and then my sheaf was bigger than your sheaf, and then everyone's sheaf like bowed down to mine. And they're like, oh, okay, really, yeah. We're all gonna bow down to you. Now, it's one thing that you are like the favorited, right? But it's another thing to think that we're actually gonna join in on this and just think you're so awesome. 
Our little brother that tattles on us with your nice Gucci jacket. And then he has another dream. He says, look, I had another dream. And then there was a sun and a moon. And there were 11 stars. 11. He's the 11th. And then all the moon and the sun and the stars, they bowed down to me. And this time, even Daddy Jacob's like, all right, bro, you're going too far. He's like, really? Really? Uh, really, Joseph? Am I, your dad, going to bow down to you? Is this really going to happen? And 11, verse 11 says, and so his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. The father rebukes him, but then he kind of holds on to it. It's almost like that verse when Mary like pondered all these things in her heart, right? It's like the dad was like, hey, you're kind of a little out there for saying this, but I'm going to kind of hold on to this. Anyone here ever have a dream? I had one last night. I'll tell you about it. I dreamt, no lie, I dreamt that I met Jack Black. And, and I had a chance to tell him just how great his work was in Nacho Libre and how much that movie meant to me. And while some of you out there are dreaming of greatness, I'm over here dreaming of thanking Jack Black for his laudable contributions to the American culture. I don't think it was a God dream. I think uh, Anna had asked me right before we all went to bed what my favorite movie was, so we started talking about that movie. And, but I guess we could ask the question, has anyone here ever had a God dream? Something God showed you would happen. The thing about a real dream from God is that it's often the case that other people won't get it. Like when you tell them, they won't be happy about it. This seems to be especially the case with your own family. This past Friday, we celebrated the Feast of St. Clair. And we have two Claires in our family, Julia Claire, the book, the bookends, the oldest and the youngest is Clara Francine. So two, two girls in our family named after St. Clair. So we celebrate their feast days and we're sitting at table in between the prosciutto and the manchego and the French silk pie and lots of table foolishness. I try to talk to my kids about the life of Claire. At age 18, she hears this radical, Jesus-loving preacher named Francis. And Francis himself had given up a life of privilege to follow Jesus, to preach the gospel everywhere he went, to rebuild the church. And he started gathering a group of men and discipling them and living together with them. And Claire hears this message, and it cuts straight to her heart. She herself was the daughter of a wealthy, noble family. She was known for her beauty. And Claire believed this gospel, this good news about Jesus. And suddenly she had a radically different vision for her life. 
And so she runs off to join Francis and his band of monks. The only thing is that her vision wasn't the vision that her family had for her. And so they proceeded to go and find her and bring her back home. Only Claire is Claire. And so she snuck out of a trap door in the house when no one was awake. And at least according to one account, her dad comes to where they are all living and he starts to again plead and argue with her to come back home. And it's at the moment when he rips the covering off her head that he realized that all of her hair has been cut off. She has been tonsured. And this is the kind of thing you do when you are committing your entire life to Christ and you're joining a monastic community often your hair will be cut off and Francis had cut off her hair. And the sight of his beautiful daughter with her hair cut off was shocking to him and he had to leave her. He didn't have the long view in mind, right? He couldn't have imagined that this guy, this crazy preacher on the edge of town was actually going to be used as an instrument of God to renew the the church known to them, right? And that even to this day, the story of Francis and Claire would be inspiring people. Even to this day, people would be discipling people kind of in the same vein of Franciscan discipleship. That even in this century, in a faraway place like the United States of America, people would be naming their daughters after his daughter, right? You can't imagine that this dream is anything other than a crazy dream. It's often the case that when you have a real God dream, a real vision from God, it is a vision that is going to redefine your life. And those that are closest to you often will not get it. This is certainly the case with Joseph. His brothers and even his father assume that all of this favoritism and fancy coat wearing has gone straight to Joseph's head. It appears that he has become a full-blown narcissist. And by the way, who can blame them, right? Who can blame them? I can imagine myself thinking of him in these same ways. I can imagine hating it if my father had a favorite, right? And showed, showed him favoritism, and then I had to endure these stories. So in our story, hatred and jealousy are boiling over The pressure is building up. The pot is whistling. Something has to happen. Joseph's oldest brothers decide that life was better before he got there, and it would indeed be better without him. And a situation soon presents itself to make that very thing happen. So Joseph is sent out by his father, and he's sent out into the fields in search of his brothers. He goes first from Hebron to Shechem. He goes to the next town over and finds that his brothers aren't there. They have gone on. And so he goes to the next town, on to Dothan. And there he finds his brothers. He is going to seek out their own well-being. He has been sent by the Father. But when the brothers see him coming, they say, Here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him and stick him in a pit 
and then we'll tell dad that some wild animals ate him. And we shall see what becomes of his dreams. Well, fortunately, big brother Reuben was there and tries to speak a little sense into him. They say, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just stick him into a pit, okay? And so they say, okay, we got to listen to our brother Reuben. He's not going along with it. So they stick him in a pit. And I guess Reuben is off tending to his sheep or something, doing whatever Reuben does. And the brothers say, let's have lunch. <laughs> and so they're eating lunch, you know, while their brother is down in this pit, enjoying themselves. And as they're eating, they see a caravan of traders that are coming by. They have been buying things throughout Palestine, throughout the Levant, and they are heading down to Egypt to make some trades to sell what they have found. And the dollar signs go off in the brother's head. They say, hey, if we kill him, we won't make any money at all. But if we sell him to this caravan, he will essentially be dead to us and we'll be able to, you know, have some money. And so... They drew Joseph out of the pit and they sold him to this caravan for 20 pieces of silver. And as the passage today ends, it says, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now I'm going to put a spoiler alert out there. Actually, the psalm already spoiled the story for us. So if you don't know the story, we kind of did rehearse where it goes. I don't want to say too much about how the story ends because I don't want to steal Mother Jana's thunder because she's going to be preaching on the second half of it next week when we get to Joseph part two. The saga continues. But the main theological meaning of this text can't actually be found where we stopped. What this text wants us to know about God is not found actually within these words. And so we have to talk a little bit about what is beyond this text to understand what this text is trying to tell us. And if you know what comes next, it will become clear to you that these dreams actually were in fact not narcissism, but actually dreams from God. And that God is going to use this very act of evil to save not only Joseph, to save not only Joseph's family, which is the family of promise. He's gonna use this act of evil and injustice and hatred to save the world that was known to them. He's going to save the evil pagan empire through this act of injustice. And it is in that sense that this story of Joseph is going to prefigure an even bigger story. When the fullness of time had come, another father would have a beloved son. And he would send this son in search of lost sons. And John 1:11 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And like Joseph, Jesus would be envied and hated and rejected by the very people for whom he was the source of life. And Jesus, too, would narrowly escape death due to jealous powers and spend part of his early life hidden 
in Egypt. And like Joseph, Jesus would lose his freedom after being sold by a brother for a few pieces of silver. He too was rejected by God's chosen people and handed over to the most powerful pagan empire of his day. Given over to death, he would become the source of life. And not only for his own people, but the source of life and blessing for all people of the earth. Prefigured in Joseph, his going down to the pit and entering the prison of hell would also be the very thing that God would use to furnish resurrection life to a world threatened by imminent death. Friends, this is God's big story. This is the story that Joseph finds himself caught up in, and it is also the story that we find ourselves caught up in this morning. How will your life be different this week because of this story? Knowing that Christ willingly went down to the pit, willingly gave up his freedom and life that you might know true freedom and life to the fullest. I wonder how a story like this might reshape the daily injustices that you experience, maybe at your job or in your neighborhood. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And maybe actions like these can make sense if it is the God of Joseph who wants to make you into a life-saving instrument for those who would oppress and mistreat you. I wonder how a story like this might reshape your experience of your own family. Maybe it isn't just that God is going to heal the animosity and dysfunction in your family. What if somehow he wants to use the very dysfunction in your family to bring redemption and healing to others? And I wonder how God might use a story like this to encourage and challenge any dreamers that we might have present here this morning. Maybe God has given you a dream and others have questioned it and you have questioned it. And it doesn't maybe even seem as if the dream could ever come true. But somehow you know at the same time this dream isn't from you. Will the experience of the pit cause you to lose faith in the giver of dreams? Or will your faith be strengthened 
through the struggle. The God who gives dreams is the God who allows you to go down to the pit because that God is also the God of resurrection. Amen.